So thanks for joining us for this special bonus episode. Once About a Crime just celebrated its 200th episode. We want to mark this special occasion by putting together something where we answer questions from you, the listener. So thanks so much to everyone who sent in a question, and I think we're going to be able to answer most of them today. But first, I wanted to welcome Lorena, who's my special co-host today. Hey, Lorena. Hey, Esther. Crazy that we have reached... 200 episodes and we're here. Yeah, it's, it is because it, you know, it just really feels like I've been doing this for like a year, but we are actually marking our fifth anniversary in June. So it has been quite a, uh, a wild ride and it's really gone by in a blur. So uh, my first question was uh, for you, actually, maybe my only question, because you're going to be asking <laughs> the questions in a minute, is that you started with Once Upon a Crime and you've been behind, been part of behind the scenes for a while. I was trying to remember when you started and how do you feel like things have changed from then then until now? Um, so to start, when I started, uh, it was January 2018. I remember seeing your Instagram post. It just said now hiring and it the basics, it was just like, oh, I need some filing because you needed uh, all of the scripts filed. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And then maybe some packaging. I was like, oh, I could do that. And I mean, that was just what I started off doing. And now as far as change, like, gosh, I feel like I've grown so much to be a part of the actual production of the show research. I mean, I, you're so amazing for letting me kind of take the reins on some of the episodes as far as like outlines and stuff. Obviously, you're the writer and everything, but that just has changed so much um, as well as just the amount of listeners we have. I can't thank them enough. I mean, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. It's really cool just to see the development of the show as well as even you hearing some of the original episodes. Your confidence has gone up so much in your voice. Um, the quality of the sound in the show itself has changed a lot. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's so much growth that has happened. Um, and it's yeah. exciting. It's all I, exciting. You know, it's funny because I like... I was telling you just recently that um, I had gone back to some of the first scripts that I had written, which was the Lost and Found scripts, so the Cleveland yeah. kidnapping and and J.C. Degard and and those. And I swear, I felt like those were so long, and I went back, and those are so short. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and and I think that's why because when I when I did first start, like it was really a, a learning process to you know, do research and put together a script and, um, you know, just try to tell the story. And I think that, you know, just, just trying to put all those pieces together and kind of figure out how I was going to do that and how much of a story I was going to tell. And it really felt like, I mean, I swear that I thought the Cleveland kidnapping one was like 30 pages and it was like, I don't know, <laughs> six or eight, yeah. you know, and now, I mean, just for reference for people that are listening, when I write a, a script Average is probably about 10 or 12 pages, I think. Yeah. And that probably um, takes me out to about 40, 45 minute um, episode. One reason why people love the show is just the intensive research that we do. Um, but for me personally, I feel like every outline that I do, I'm always like, okay, I want to do a little bit more. Like what is, and I know you have always done this. What is something that we can tell in the story that you won't hear anywhere else. So that's kind of the fun part, I think, for me is, is kind of being able to find those things, because then I get excited, even if it's a, a case that I know, and then I learn something new. And I think I've never heard this, you know, um, this, this detail before. And so I want to share that to me, that's when the episodes kind of really come together when it's I feel like I'm telling, like I'm sitting down with somebody that I know and I'm telling them this thing that I heard that was really like fascinating. So that was the whole idea of Once Upon a Crime is just being able to tell these stories. For Lorena, when she first came on, really when I was hiring somebody, I just needed like an admin person to come in and do some of these things and oh, there's a big uh, pile of filing to do and stuff like that. But it didn't take long before I realized that Lorena could pretty much do anything that I gave her. <laughs> and she was so much faster at learning anything that was like tech, not you know, technology or social media related. So that was the first thing was just kind of, oh, yeah, come in and mail out some stuff and keep track of our Patreon listeners. But um, it it became way more than that. So now 
Lorena really does a lot of, you know, she helps me with the research. I kind of sometimes give her, hey, here's this case. Can you find some stuff? And she's within a few days, she's got an outline that gives me idea of where to start. And then that really helps me because then I can spend the time looking for those things like we talked about, like the details that make the story to me, you know, the most interesting. So that's really helpful. Otherwise, you guys would be getting probably two thirds of <laughs> what I put out <laughs> now as far as the story. Yes. So that's that's really helped. But but yeah, it's been fun because everything in podcasting um, is new, is you mm-hmm. know pretty much. So we are kind of just being able to go through and as we find other things that we want to add or things we want to give to the listeners or things you know way we want to connect with the listeners, then uh, you know we add that to what is now the podcast. So that's been really, really cool. But yeah, there's a lot, you guys. There's yeah. always something new to Every learn. day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Just every when you day. think you have Zoom and audio down, it <laughs> bites you in the butt. <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and jump right into these questions because we have a few. We said, Hey, send us in your recorded uh, messages so we can play them on the show. Well, a lot of people told me that they were a little shy to record their voice. And uh, I forget, you know, not everybody's uh, used to that. So so I thought, okay, that's fine. So we put it out again where people could do either or. They could either send it in in writing or they could um, record it. So we have a few recordings, which is really cool to be able to, to add those in. Um, so you guys will be able to hear those, but we also have some that were written and sent in. So Lorena is going to be asking me those. So what is our first question, Lorena? All right. Starting off with, um, I'm sure you have gotten this one so many times. What made you want to start this podcast? I was looking forward to meeting you at CrimeCon, but maybe next year. That is from Maria B. I was really looking forward to that too. And it was just cutting it a little bit close. I didn't know whether I was going to be um, able to travel yet by June. So the one in Austin is partially virtual and partially in person from what I've last heard. We may be um, participating virtually like we did if you guys did CrimeCon house arrest back a few months ago. But I will definitely be in person the next time we have CrimeCon, which I think they've announced this. I'm not you know, speaking out of school. I think they did. We'll be in Las Vegas next Ooh, year. Ooh, finally yes. over here. I know. So much closer. Oh, it's such an easy plane ride for us yeah. to just hop on over or even drive if we wanted to. $29. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm way. not driving through the desert. Sorry. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, we'll be invited again and we'll be there next year. But this year in the fall, we're going to be in at CrimeCon uh, UK, which is the first year for CrimeCon UK. And that's in London. And I am so stoked about that. And that's at the end of September. So we've got a little ways to go. But um, one of our favorite things is as meeting listeners. So I can't wait to do that again. Um, but how do we get started? So I kind of told you a little bit in the intro, we were talking about that is why I started it was just, you know, I've been a big true crime. Well, actually, it was true crime books back in the day. We didn't have all the offerings like you do now, like all the documentaries and shows and Investigation Discovery Channel and, you know, yeah, all podcasts and everything else. Um, But, you know, I started out in high school uh, reading true crime books and looking for anything I could on true crime. And that was just kind of a guilty pleasure for me for the longest because I really didn't know anybody except maybe my sister who, you know, was really into true crime. And so... I had podcasted before just as a hobby because I used to love to listen to podcasts. And then I said, oh, that'd be fun to make one. But I just did it for myself just to learn. And then I thought, well, if I ever did a podcast, it would, I would think I would love to do a true crime podcast because I know all of these cases. Like mm-hmm. I know all these details of so many cases that are so interesting to me. And I'd love to tell, you know, those stories. I know I could do that forever. Um, and yet I thought, I don't know if anybody wants to listen to that, had looked for true crime podcasts and there really weren't any. There was maybe two and one of them was Gen Y. So yeah, I don't know if people would want to listen to that. But then Serial came out, which was huge. And that Mm -hmm. was a true crime uh, podcast. And because that blew up, I thought, well, there's a lot of people that want to hear these kind of stories. So that's good. Uh, At that time, I was actually already planning, like in the planning stages of the podcast. And the other thing I, I thought about was 
serial ended after like 10 episodes. And I thought, well, all of those, because they had millions of people listening, mm-hmm. all those millions of people, they're going to be looking for more of this kind of content. So I better hurry up and get that going. So we launched in June, uh, June of 2016 with three, the first three episodes. And yeah, it pretty much took off. So once I knew that I had this audience already, I thought, well, I got to keep going. Yeah, can't so, let them down. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if people want to listen, I want to tell the story. So it really uh, quickly became um, almost a week. I think at first I was releasing like every 10 to 12 days. And then I thought, well, I should try, I should really try for once a week. And I think after the first, you know, maybe a couple of months, I was maybe a little bit more, I can't remember exactly, but then I went to weekly and then that pretty much took over my life as you know, Lorena. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly taking over mine. No, I enjoy it though. Next question. All right. What does it take to start a podcast? I know we kind of uh, touched base on it as far as where we are now, but do you need special equipment? Uh, What goes into creating an entire episode? That is from PJD. So I always tell people this because I have sometimes uh, people that are getting ready to start a podcast will reach out to me and say, hey, you know, you have any tips and whatever. And the first tip I give them is don't don't use me as a reference because the way I did it was absolutely unnecessary and <laughs> way too much. So when I first started, I'll, I'll go back to back like in 2011, 2012, when I was just learning to podcast. And this is what you, I think any beginning podcaster could and should do. Is just a laptop and a, and a halfway decent microphone that you plug in, like a USB mic, and then you just start recording because it's going to take you a little while to find your groove, to find your sound, to find what you want to, um, you know, focus on or, you know, just what your podcast is going to be like. I knew that when I did a true crime podcast that that was going to be it for me. That this is what I was going to do and it was going to be something I wanted to continue for a long time. So I did a whole setup. I did a soundboard. I did professional mics. I did, you know, a new computer. I did the whole thing. It took longer for me to get off the ground because I was a little bit intimidated by all of the equipment. And so I really had to kind of learn because I knew how to use recording software and stuff like that. But this was a whole new level. And that was because I wanted it to sound you know, as good as possible, hopefully from the beginning, even though I, I was still learning and I, you know, knew that I still had some work to do on my on my own you know, presentation and all of that. But I figured we start off with good sound because that was one of my sticking points. I was a big podcast listener and I couldn't stick with podcasts that the sound, was, it was hard to hear or anything distracting, anything like that. I thought, well, I don't want to do that to my listeners if I ever have listeners. And <laughs> so let me start off good. But yeah, really equipment. No, you just need, you know, you have a laptop or a computer, a USB mic, plug it in and get going. You know, don't think about it too long because it'll just delay you. Yeah. As far as process, I mean, you have, there's a lot to think about before you, you really hit the microphone, to be honest. You have to think about what's your podcast about? Um, how often will you publish a new episode? How long will the episodes be? Is it going to just be you or are you a guest host or are you doing interviews? You know, what's the tone going to be? Is it going to be a comedy kind of thing? Is it going to be more straightforward? Is it going to be informative? You know, there's a, a lot of different ways to think about it. But if you listen to podcasts, you might have a good idea like, oh, I like this about this podcast and I like this about that podcast and kind of put it together in your own style. W- one thing I'll just say is never imitate somebody else's. Just make it your own because that's what podcast listeners want is they always want something different. Like, okay, I listen to that podcast for this, but I want to listen to this podcaster because I like their take on things. I have other podcaster friends who have shows kind of like mine, but they're, they're completely different, you know, mm-hmm. in what they cover or how they present it. So our formats might be the same, but you know, our styles are different, which is makes it really more fun for the listener to have. Next question is an audio question. Hi, Esther. This is Lala from Phoenix. My question to you is, what has been the biggest perk of podcasting for you? So, you know, there's there's really a lot of perks. I think just being able to put something out there. This is something that kind of every once in a while it creeps into my mind. And it's it's alternately really cool and also kind of terrifying is knowing that what I put out there you know, in the form of this podcast is out there forever. 
when I'm long gone and maybe my great, great grandchildren are around, that audio will still be somewhere. You know, I don't know in what form because who knows how, you know, how things will change as far as technology, but it will always be out there. So once you create, it's like any creator, once you create something, it outlives you, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of cool. And it's also like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's that's, really I think that's beautiful. I never really, I mean, I've thought about that. Like, obviously, yes, we're creating this, but I never, the way you just said that, like, I kind of got goosebumps because yeah, it's, it's going to outlive you. It's going to outlive me. And who knows, maybe once upon a crime will grow even more and we'll have a team that continues it. I don't know. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. You know, you've put this out in the universe and now it's there. I think really the other really biggest perk of it is, well, being able to do what I love, I mean, for sure. And also just the community. I mean, it has been so great to meet so many people, um, other podcasters, you know, podcast listeners who now I, I call friends. We may not live close to each other or even be in the same country, but we've gotten to know one another or connect at certain times, whether it's at crime cons or, or other things. And that has been so cool. I just love being around, um, especially like with the other podcasters, a group of people that are all creating something and we all have that in common. And also it's been a very supportive community. I mean, just so many nice people. I don't know that I've been in another industry where I felt like people were so just helpful and nice and decent and interesting and creative. Really, really cool. So, um, so yeah. And always just on your side. I mean, whenever I do some of the posts, I mean, we recently had our 200th episode and then we finally got the 2020 podcast award for society and culture. And so many listeners, yes, were saying congrats, congrats, but so many other true crime podcasters were like, you deserve it. Well done. Just going back and reading the comments from other true crime podcasters is it's really heartwarming to see that you know we're doing the same thing but there's no competition there you know yeah exactly there's no competition and everybody really really does applaud everybody else's you know successes and and these milestones and stuff so that's really fun that's been like one of the the biggest perks I, I would say for sure all right moving right along um how do you choose your cases and why those specific ones? That is from JCS. So the way I choose it, it's so funny because I think in titles, <laughs> like everything, I think the first thing I think of is is titles or grouping things together. So that's why I made the podcast the way I did, which is a different topic every month and because it would be a title. The first title was Lost and Found because I wanted to tell stories about people who had gone missing for a long amount of time and then were later found and rescued. Because before I kind of knew like these were the cases I wanted to discuss and then they fit, they all kind of connected to one another in that way. So from then on, I thought, okay, what happens a lot of times is I'll think of one case that I know I want to cover and then I think of what other cases that are kind of similar in some ways. There's something that connects them as a theme or a topic. And then so I create that topic for each month. And then we look for other cases that may fit into that that uh, that theme. And then the second part of that is, but once we do find those cases, which Loretta knows because she helps me now with the research, is it has to be something that there's a little bit of a twist or something weird about it, or there's just... So it can't be super cut and dry. Like, yeah, there needs to be a story behind it. it can't yeah. Just be- so just to give an example of kind of what I mean by that, when there's cases, most of the time, if there's a case that I know, like it was some terrible crime, but what we find out is that the perpetrator was really mentally ill. They were either having a some kind of psychotic break or something like that. They do something terrible, but they can't be held legally responsible because they are so compromised mentally. Mm-hmm. We already know why it happened. And there's not a whole lot of blame to go there. Of course, you know, they did the crime and it's and it was a terrible and tragic thing. But those are not as interesting to me because those are just tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting to me is that people that don't have those issues and they do these insane things anyway. You Mm -hmm. know, I want to know what are they thinking? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What happened to them to make them 
make a choice because at that point it's a choice to do something that most of us would never consider doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where the psychology um, of crime comes in for me. And that's the most kind of interesting part of it. Yeah. All right. Are there any cases you won't do? For example, I know some podcasters won't do children cases. That is from Marinda S. You know, I I don't like to immerse myself in cases where kids are the victim because those are really hard. There are times when you can't avoid it, either because they're one of the victims in the case or it just happens to be that the predator is seeking out some child victims. So that happens sometimes, like when we did Curtis Dean Anderson. He was one of those predators I really wanted to dive into. He had so many victims and so many other ones were people thought might have been him. So he did have some, you know, child victims, but I will do those sometimes. I think, to be honest, I could never do is if it was a crime, anything with abusing animals, I I can't, I can't do it. I try to give to animal charities and people that do that work and God bless them. I'm, you know, I just couldn't do it. I can't see an animal that's, you know, harmed. It would just destroy me. (laughs) It's so crazy. We can research uh, people being killed but yeah. <laughs> don't show a puppy I know, <laughs> or I even know. like a little bird oh yeah crazy. I don't know yeah there's just something about that but yeah I think that's the only other other ones no I I mean there may be some that are more like controversial that maybe um I would say yeah you know or the one that's been done enough I think or what's mm-hmm. been done a lot unless I like you said could bring something totally new to it I would probably just let you know let it be because people have already done it quite a bit. Next question. Is there a case that haunts you? Like any case that has kept you up at night? That is from Jack R. People ask this all the time, like, you know, do you have trouble sleeping? Do you get nightmares? And I have to say, never. I <laughs> never once had a dream or a nightmare about a case. Not once that I, I mean, if I do, maybe I just don't recall them, but I can tell you that I, I, do not recall ever having a dream or a nightmare about a case I've covered or, you know, a victim or anything like that. As far as, you know, haunting things that kind of stay with you. I mean, there's quite a few that stay with me every once in a while I'll think about. And it's because of the, the situation that it was that really, I think, kind of haunts everybody that hears about it is the Polly Class case. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's this 11-year-old girl and she gets, you know, kidnapped and and murdered. And of course, Unfortunately, we hear about this. This happens. But this little girl was in her home, in her bedroom, with a friend having a sleepover with her mother just a few feet down the hall. And this guy came into the home and took her. So you think about that and you're thinking, if you're not safe and can feel secure in your own home, in your own bedroom, where can you? You're not even alone. But we know exactly what happened. You know, her friend was able to give a description and all of that. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of the same as with Elizabeth Smart. It was the same thing. She Mm -hmm. was in her home, in her room with her little sister, you know, with her parents down the hall. Yeah. And got taken and was missing for months. So (laughs) something about Esther that some listeners may know already, but Esther does not like horror films. She can't do them, which is just so crazy to me. No, I hate horror films. I only, there's only a few, like some of the really old ones because they're more suspense. Mm-hmm. Like I can do some suspense, but anything that's like, you know, killings on screen or, you know, no, or just super, super horror scary. No, I can't. I can't. It's so, so funny because I used to be a huge Stephen King fan as far as reading. Yeah. But I think most of the movies I haven't seen because I'm like, that might be too scary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. A couple of people asked this one. What has been your favorite case or series that you have covered? Um, Rose G and Tina K both asked that. Okay. So uh, uh, there's three different categories and I'll give you one for each one. So one of the most fun, because it wasn't like a horrible crime that at the end it's like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. But it was more fun because it was funny and it was just crazy. It was the 10 cent beer night. 
I knew you were going there. Yeah, that was (laughs) crazy. (laughs) It was such a crazy story, but it was hilarious. And then I got to have my friends, Lauren and Michael from True Crime Guys do like a voiceover. They played the the sportscasters from an actual recording of what was going on at the time that this crazy thing was happening because other people got drunk on 10 cent beer at this one baseball game. And before you know these these sportscasters were doing the play by play of all of the shenanigans on the field and not of the, the brawls, yeah. the brawls and, <laughs> and all this. And so that was so much fun. And I couldn't wait to do that one because I knew what I was going to do. And I'm like, I have to tell that story. That story is so crazy. So that one was my favorite as far as being, you know, really fun. There was another one that was actually kind of fun, not because of the story, because the story was about a serial killer. It was her Baumeister, Fox Hollow Farm. Oh, yeah. And that was the, I believe the haunted homicides one. Mm-hmm. And that was fun because, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to it yet, I got to add some really uh, fun sound effects in yeah. there. <laughs> and not only that, okay, so talk about horror. I, so this has happened a couple of times and it's always when I'm doing the haunted episodes. And I, <laughs> and you guys, I'm seriously, I'm not like just trying to like freak you out or be, you know, funny or whatever. Weird things happen every time I do that series, you know, that's something haunted. The Fox Hollow Farm one, when I, I was in here in the studio, in the there's nobody here but me on it, which is really dumb to do it in the evening. But that's when I used to record was always in the evening. And I was here in an empty uh, office space in my studio. And I was doing sound effects. But there was one, and I can't remember which, after I released the episode, I got a couple of comments in the morning because, you know, I released them, I was releasing them the night before. And in the morning, I got up and I was, you know, checking my messages on my iPad. And I got a couple of messages where people said, at minute such and such, you can hear a child laughing. Did you put that in there to freak us out? And I, said, <laughs> and I said, no, I'm like, they're, they're hearing things because, you know, it's a spooky episode, whatever. So I put my earbuds in and I went to that minute and good God, it was in there and still in there. Oh, yeah. So I'll have to find out what it is and I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes if you guys want to listen for it. Cause it's there. And I, I swear, I swear by everything that I did not put that in there and there was nobody here. There was no children around. There was Nothing that could have come from, but you can hear a child talking or laughing. And oh, yeah, if you have your earbuds in, you can hear it. It's very, very weird. So we have a thing with our $20 Patreon members, which is one of you know, our newer tiers, is that they can request a uh, signed transcript that I, I bind it and put it into something, give them as like a souvenir, and they can pick which one they want. I didn't think this through because it's taking me a lot longer to get these done than I thought because I am kind of a perfectionist. And when I went through, I said, "Ugh, you know, I got to clean this up and make it so there's no typos or (laughs) missing, you know, whatever. Um, So one of the ones, and it was a longer one, was the, the Pacific Heights dog mauling case. Oh, yeah. And so I went through... To you know, I was reading the script over. I wasn't listening. I was reading to reading it through to make sure that it was in good shape for me to you know bind it and send it out. And I was reading it, and I'm like, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good story. This is a good story, and it sounds really good. And I thought, man, this could be a like a short a short book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was so funny because when I wrote it, I really didn't pay attention until I was reading it. And I thought, you know what? The writing on that is pretty good. And I don't always feel that way. Sometimes I feel like, okay, it's just writing for spoken word and it sounds good, you know, but when I read it over and it, and it reads well, then I think that, so I was a little bit proud of that one. When I went through, I was like, you know, I'm kind of proud of that. That was pretty good. No, every time I listen to the final episode after all of the production and everything is done. Um, I always am like, gosh, that sounded really good. Even though I know what's going to happen. I know the story from beginning to end, the way you start it, end it, everything in the middle. It's not just like, okay, like we talked about, it's not just like, okay, this is what happened. Da 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 da. The end. Um, you really make it interesting. And you know, with the sound transitions, um, I don't think a lot of people understand like why the transitions are the way they are, but you know, some of them are like, okay, fast forward 
10 years, but then wait. So I don't know. It's almost like a little cliffhanger the way you write. Um, I love listening to the final episodes um, because, yeah, you are a great writer and the scripts are awesome. Yeah, for me, because I love to tell stories. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way I think. I think like a reader, like where is it good? Like if I was to open a book, like what would get me hooked on that story? And if the chapter ended at this part, it would be like, oh, I got to get to the next chapter, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the way I think. And that's the way I try to write it. So it keeps, it, it keeps people wanting to listen to the end. All right. Next audio question. Hi, Esther. It's JP. I've been listening to your podcast for about three to four years, and I've been really fascinated by your take on true crime cases. On your FAQ page on your website, You mentioned your favorite true crime books. I wanted to know what were your favorite true crime movies or TV shows? Oh, and happy 200 episodes. Thank you, JP. You know, I had to think about this one for a while. Yeah, I put a a lot of books that I've read. And of course, I remember those because like I said, I'm a big reader. But yeah, there's definitely been some shows, especially recently, one of the best as far as, and it's a dramatic series, it's not a, it's not a documentary series, none of the best as far as true crime goes, I mean, just in the recent past, is Mindhunter. Um, yeah. And that was a Netflix show about FBI, you know, profilers when they started. And, and the reason, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's just really, really good. It's just amazing. If you guys haven't seen that, you'll be completely hooked if you're at all into FBI profiling and the serial killer thing and all that. Because the, co- the psychology behind it all. And the other reason is because that has always been um, a big interest of mine. I used to read everything by John Douglas, you know, was one of the original <laughs> FBI profilers. So I have always loved that kind of stuff. And so Mindhunter was really um, just kind of up my alley. Uh, and then a couple of like three shows that I would say that you can watch now that are really well done because there's a lot of true crime shows out there. And some of them are just, well, we, me and Lorenda talk about this, yeah. Yeah, you know, because we know the case. We're like, what was that? You know, yeah. they didn't even tell the story or it wasn't, it wasn't that true to life or whatever. Yeah. But here, three that I thought were, that are really well done and give you something new. I think when you watch them is Marsha Clark investigates the first 48, which I think now you can watch on Amazon prime. If I'm not yeah. That was an A&E show, but I think now it's on Amazon Prime. She goes back and she reinvestigates some of these, like Casey Anderson, uh, the Stacey Peterson one that we did not long ago. <laughs> she goes back and, and reinvestigates those and comes up with some great theories, I think. A Crime to Remember, which is on um, Investigation Discovery, is, was, has always been one of my favorites because it's a, it's a dramatized show about true stories but they're all older stories. Yeah. So, so kind of like what I do, older cases. And it's really, really well done. And both Justin, Aaron, and Karen from My Favorite Murder have all been on the show as uh, commentators, which has been kind of fun to watch. Very cool. Um, and the other one on Investigation Discovery, I believe, is called Evil Lives Here. We were just talking yeah. about that. That's mm-hmm. a great show. Um, yeah, they do a really good job of like staying on course with exactly what happened. They really stick to the facts because they have the people that were connected to the story telling a lot of the story themselves. Mm-hmm. And the one I'd say from way back that stayed with me because it was just one of the first ones I thought was really well done and really resonated with, I think, a lot of people. But this is way back. Most of... Most of you guys of a certain age will probably not have seen it unless you stumbled upon it, you know, for some other reason, um, was The Burning Bed. And I did that was the Francine Hughes, The Burning Bed episode I did. And she was played by Farrah Fawcett, who was a big (laughs) star in the 70s. And she was amazing in that as very dramatic as a very abused uh, woman who basically takes revenge out on um, her abuser at the end. And it's just... It's it's a heartbreaking story. So you could probably find that on YouTube, I think, because it's really old. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that movie. I think my mom was like a huge Lifetime. She still is a huge Lifetime um, fan. And it was on Lifetime. And I remember watching that movie when I was probably 11, 12. And I remember it perfectly because, yeah, that scene where the house is just burning and it's I I don't know it's crazy to think back on maybe that's where my true crime 
obsession started <laughs> when yeah. I was 11 years old watching <laughs> the Burning Bed movie. But yeah, I do remember it being on Lifetime. And yeah, that's a really great movie. But yeah. uh, thanks for answering that because actually uh, we had another person, John R., asked the same question um, as JP did. Do you have favorite true crime TV movie miniseries? And yeah, um, The Burning Bed was one of the ones that he recommended. So yeah, of yeah, course, you know, there's a ton that, I mean, I liked, you know, a lot of, a lot of ones that you guys probably like, like The Staircase and, um, you know, all of those, West Memphis, Memphis Three and, you know, all of those, those, those are all great, of course. Um, but mm-hmm. those, you know, just, these are ones I think maybe less people have maybe watched or know For about. Sure. All right, moving along. Have you ever been contacted by a family member connected to a case that you covered from Tina Kay? You, you know, that's, a, that was always one of my, like, Things that make me like, oh God, you know, it'd be terrible. Somebody, you know, because it, it, it is, it's a difficult thing to put, you know, this information out there about somebody, it, maybe it's their, you know, family member that, that was the perpetrator or the victim. But there's only been like two, maybe three. And all of them have been, all of them but one have been um, positive. Yeah. And the one that wasn't, I wasn't really concerned about because, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll say that in a minute. But there was, I actually got one from somebody who was a family member of one of the, one of the perpetrators who actually said, thank you for telling the story correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, because they said, you know, you're really fair about it, about the information that you gave out because most people just kind of Say, oh, this is, this, yeah, bash this is a terrible thing or whatever. And, you know, the person did a terrible thing, but there was also a backstory about how they got involved and, you know, what happened and who else was prodding them to do, you know, certain things. So they were appreciative of that, which was great. I mean, that was really surprising. And they even said, yeah, this is a family member and we care about them, but they really made some really bad decisions in their life. But we're just glad that it was told fairly. And then there was another one. I opened up the email and I saw the first couple of lines and I thought, nope, I know exactly where you're going and I'm not (laughs) going to get into that with you because it was about, again, a family member who was a perpetrator and this was their child who was young at the time, like in their later teen years. But I had already known that that person was kind of a a supporter of the parent, Mm -hmm. but I also kind of knew why because I had researched the story the person who was the perpetrator who is in prison now was very manipulative and very abusive, if not physically, then psychologically. Mm-hmm. And this person who was her child was very manipulated because it could be just you're young and you're told certain things by a parent. And it's kind of hard to say my parents lying or my parents a bad person or, or whatever. So, you know, I'm not going to pick at that scab, you know, and also because that may just be the way that they need to think about it to be able to just deal with life, you know, Mm -hmm. because think about it. If that was your parent who did that kind of thing, how would you, how would you deal with that? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously he doesn't want to hate his parents. So I thought, okay, you know, he got off his chest what he wanted, but because basically was saying that it was all wrong and wrongly convicted. And this is, this is not a new case. It's something that's been around and has been, um, you know, investigated and gone before parole boards and all this stuff. And this person is very unrepentant and there is no, there's really no other theories. Like everybody knows that this is what happened, but Mm -hmm. he, he's, you know, in his mind, he's trying to tell himself that this is not what happened. All right. Next question. If you could learn the answer to one famous cold case, but only one, which one would you choose and why that one from Kristen R? Yeah, there was a few. So I picked one because there's probably more than one, but I'll just pick the one. It was a West Memphis three case because, you know, I guess there's still two ways that people think about it. Yes, they were guilty when they weren't, but there really was no evidence of their guilt, you know, when we really pick it apart. So, I mean, these are three children that died. So Mm -hmm. I would really like to know who was responsible. I really think it's possible that we will get answers to that at some point. So with all the new like DNA and everything. mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely a chance that that will be solved. And and I would really like to know because, you know, that's three three families that lost their, you know, little 
with little no children. Cancer. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. All right. Audio question. Hi, Esther. This is Allison. I've been a listener for a long time. And I have to first say the episode you and your sister did about Scott Peterson was the best thing ever. When she said him and his ranch dressing <laughs> and his pizza. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, my question to you is, how long ago did you get started? And what case would you say is the one that is your favorite? Which one do you, would you say was the most heartbreaking for you? Which one was the most interesting to cover? And if you had it to do again, were there any that you might not do in this again? Maybe you did it the first time and thought, ugh, I'm, I don't ever want to go down that road again. Just curious. Thank you so much for, for the podcast. I love it. Um, I live in the East Bay, so I'm not too far from you. And you are definitely my favorite. Have a good day. That's so funny. Everybody always loves the uh, episodes I did with my sister, Yolanda. Um, those were a lot of fun for me to do. I mean, we talk about true crime, you know, what we're watching and cases and stuff all the time. We've done it for years. So it's just really natural for us to get together and, and talk about these things. So that was really fun. Yeah. So favorites I already, t- I already talked about. Heartbreaking. So there was a couple. The Kitty Genovese was one. Selena. Yeah. Was two. And and both of those because they were both young women pretty much the, at the beginning of their lives. And really nobody had a bad word to say about either one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. Selena, even though she was becoming very famous and all of that, all you hear about her is, is just what a nice person she was. You know, yeah. nice, generous, just sweet, you know, innocent person. Kitty Genovese, that's a very old case. Those kind of kids like to know, like, what would they have done in their life later, or what would have become of them? Just recently, there was the Super Bowl when it was JLo and Shakira. Oh yeah, and I kept thinking Selena would have been there. She oh, would have been the. Yeah. She would have been part of that. You know, if for she sure. was still alive, for sure. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the ones that really heartbreaking: the San Isidro McDonald's massacre. Yes. Imagine taking your kids out, you no. know, to McDonald's on a Saturday, and then somebody comes in and just starts, you know, not even just spraying bullets, but specifically picking out people and shooting and killing them. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. If you guys ever watched, I think it was called 77 minutes. There's a documentary about it. Ugh. do not watch that unless you have a box full of Kleenex. It's it's, it's grim, man. It's just really, really sad. So interesting. The Gibbon sisters, remember those two twin sisters that were so strange, like they didn't talk for the first how many years? And then they only talk to each other in a certain language. That one was super interesting. Like, what is going on there? Yeah. So, yeah. So I thought that one was really interesting. And then I wouldn't do again. There was a couple, the Sweetheart Killers, Alton Coleman and Deborah Brown, if you remember that one, they were just terrible. <laughs> I mean, I could not find any redeeming qualities for either of them. They just like, like to kill oh, and, gosh. and they took, you know, children yeah. and, and, um, teens. teens is just crazy. All right. Are you going to stay the same monthly three to four cases with one subject? I love that so much. Jonathan J. Yes, definitely. It's easier for me to think of three or four at a time um, than to do one case at a time and have to think of the next one. So the, yeah. the topics that, that really helps me and us to think of, you know, several cases and some of them that we don't get to stay on the list. And then we have maybe that, that turns into another topic or something. It really helps with um, the planning of it. And it's unique too. I think it's not everybody's doing that. So um, it makes uh, Once Upon a Crime a little bit different than sure. others. Um, from Vivia B, are you still a social worker or retired from that profession? So um, I had a degree in psychology and I actually was doing counseling when I was going to get my degree at that social work. They told us everything that was involved. Like, oh, that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that. But it kind of was kind of in a way because I did work with um, youth like in correctional facilities and stuff. So there was a lot of kind of social work aspects to it. Um, But no, actually, um, I did retire from that. And that just, like I said, the, the podcast took over. And uh, it was just all of my time. So I ended up not being able to take new clients because I just didn't have the time to do it. And then luckily, I mean, it took, what, 40 episodes before I thought, oh, I should get some sponsors because I'm not making any money here. So, (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, Patreon, of course, the Patreon members really help with that, too. 
Um, so now I actually make a living with the podcast. Uh, it actually pays my bills. And yeah, so so no, I don't do that anymore. It was great. I mean, it really helped me to understand people and the psychology of, you know, when things happen to people and how they respond to them. And, and um, so that helps with the, you know, when I'm writing the stories about these true crime cases. Yeah, that's one thing I always tell my friends and family and, you know, people who ask what I do, I always say, you know, I work for a podcast producer and, you know, they always ask like, oh, did she just start it? I'm like, actually, no, she has a background in psychology. So she kind of knows what she's doing. So, (laughs) Um, all right. From Kathy R, if you could be a prosecutor, the defense attorney, the judge or juror, which would you choose? I guess my first reaction would be juror because you go, you listen to something and you judge it. Although it's kind of hard for me, I think, to decide whether somebody's guilty or innocent. Yeah. I'd rather other people do that. <laughs> so my second thought would, was the judge, because you're kind of just overseeing the proceedings. Yeah. And you're not necessarily making the the final decision except for maybe sentencing. Yeah. Right? So as much as, you know, I talk about crime and I, you can tell sometimes when I'm doing the, the episodes that I have no sympathy for some of these perpetrators, I would have a hard time. I think I have too much empathy and it would, I would have a hard time because I actually thought about being a cop at one point in my life. And then I realized, yeah, but you have to stop people and give them tickets. I'd probably always feel bad. Like, yeah, you know, okay, I'll let you go this time. And I'd probably yeah. get fired because, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we've all been in that position where we made a mistake, you know, and am I going to be the one that, you know, they lose their license because of, or yeah. they get thrown in jail or, you know, it's just, I thought that would be really hard for me. So I, I changed that and went into psychology and psychology <laughs> of criminals instead. From Nikki N and Sherry V, they both heard of a crime that grabbed their attention and it's the Joel Guy Jr. case. We haven't covered that case and they just want to get your opinion and your assessment of Joel Guy Jr. Yeah. So that one I hadn't heard of until somebody asked. So I, we looked it up. Both uh, Lorena and I were like, holy moly. <laughs> maybe was, we'll do another bonus episode on that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe, we, maybe we'll have to because it's still um, it's still fairly new. Yeah. Um, and I believe he has been sentenced, if I remember correctly. I, I think he was just sentenced in January 2021. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I knew it was very recent. So that was the thing, you know, somebody asked, how do we pick? And that's one of the ones they have to be resolved. Yeah. Um, I don't do ones that are still kind of awaiting trial or something like that. Cause I want the end of the story, at least, you know, from that point, you know, and this is the guy that ended up killing his parents on Thanksgiving weekend and then try to get rid of the bodies by dismembering them. And the way he did it was just so strange that I think they were trying to go for an insanity defense. But from what I have been able to glean from just, you know, what I watched or listened to or read about was that I wouldn't particularly classify him as insane. It seemed like he planned it quite a bit. He, um, He just was not very good at it. Yeah. I mean, they found his backpack with all of the to-do yeah. list, pretty much, you know, the what to buy list. Um, yeah. He had yeah. left the house to go get something else to finish whatever he was trying to do to get rid of the bodies. And just so happened, they got to the house to do a welfare check um, because yeah. somebody had said, hey, they didn't show up to work on Monday. And they found all that. They found his backpack with all the notes. And he wrote down everything yeah. that he was going to do. And, and, you know, I mean, everything. So the the whole plan was there. So people will say, oh, well, if you're that dumb, you got to be kind of crazy, right? No, maybe you're just dumb. And it didn't seem like there was any good uh, motivation either, because Mm -hmm. it seems like his parents, he was 28. Yeah, I think 27 when it happened. Um, And yeah, they were just going to cut him off. He had been in college for nine years, not getting a medical degree, just getting a regular degree. And his parents were paying all his bills and, you know, his everything and paying for his school. And they had just told him, hey, we're moving. um, We're selling our house and you need to go now fly on your own, our son, you know. And it sounded like what the motivation was is I'll, Hey, I'll kill them and I'll have the money and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Just a horrible thing. So yeah, I don't see him as being insane. I think, I think that was the right call. I don't think the jury bought that. I think he was just one of these, remember those, the spoiled son 
thing, you know, the yeah. smoke, you know, one of those guys. It just was trying to take the easy way out. At least so far from what I've found out is that that, that would be my opinion. So you guys can tell me what you think, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe we'll do a Patreon on it. That would be. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Hey, Esther, this is Melinda from Cincinnati. My question to you is, what is your guilty pleasure when it comes to podcasts? Is there a particular podcast you listen to, but you don't really like to admit that you listen to it? Um, my second question was, um, if you have any uh, opinion about the fact that um, Crime Junkie is still as popular as it is, even after all the plagiarism scandal that had happened. Um, those are my questions. Thank you so much. So guilty pleasure. I wouldn't say that there's any that I would say, oh yeah, I'm not gonna tell anybody to listen to that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do listen to, I mean, besides true crime, of course, I listen to a lot of like news and politics. Like I, I listen to that, uh, a little bit of that every week. I would maybe say people might be most surprised if they don't know me is that one of my favorites is Teen Mom Trash Talk. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I used to watch the first Teen Mom show, you know, I thought it was good. And, and then I lost track of it, whatever. And then I went back when they rebooted it and watched it for a while. And, and I don't even watch it anymore. But I just listen to the recaps from Teen Mom Trash Talk because they're hilarious. And, <laughs> and they, you know, and they're, well, Tracy Carnazzo and Nicole, um, they're friends. They've been friends forever. And Tracy's a comedian. And they do like 90 Day Fiance. They do a couple of other ones. So look for 90 Day Fiance Trash Talk, I think it is. And, and um, Teen Mom Trash Talk, if you guys like those shows, because they're they're so funny. They're they're amazing. And if you want another funny one, just to put that out there, it's, again, not a guilty pleasure, but you, they might not have heard of it, is Leroy's show is, excuse yeah. me, that's illegal, which he tells uh, about minor crimes, no serious crimes, but so funny. So yeah. check those two out. So yeah, those would be my little, my little uh, palate cleansers, I guess you call them to, to listen to. <laughs> oh, and um, you know, the thing about Crime Junkie, it's like everybody has to live with their own, you know, whatever they do. Yeah. <laughs> they have yeah. to live with their own actions. Um, and people say, well, you know, they're still raking in the dough and they're still um, very popular. Yeah, they are. But you know, um, we're just doing our own thing over We're here. We're doing our thing, yeah. And I feel like we do it with uh, integrity. We work really hard. We try to lift up other people. Um, we give credit wherever credit's due, whether that's resources or other podcasts that, you know, have helped us. And I think that that's just a better way to go in life. I think that's just a way to, you know, give, give back um, sure. and not just take. And, you know, money and being on top of whatever is not everything. I think, I mean... To be honest, Loretta, I've always felt like I feel so blessed for where we're at and what we're doing because there's, I mean, think about how many True Crime podcasts are out there, you know, yeah. and we started early enough and we have done well enough where we're always in the top 100 of, of iTunes and it doesn't may not seem like a lot to people, but it's a lot, especially when you think about how many of those are still independent podcasts. Yeah. And what I mean by that is a lot of these podcasts now are like headed by celebrities and people that have huge followings on social media or um, are television, you know, commentators, people that already have all of this PR and marketing and audiences in place. And we started when nobody knew who yep. we were, yeah. you know, and, and just on the power of the storytelling and on what we've created is that we have a, a large audience. And um, that to me is amazing because I really never expected that. So yeah. it's, it's just so rewarding to me. Yeah. And I feel like we can show our faces anywhere and, People like us, you know, yeah. we don't have to worry about being controversial or being like some people like us. Somebody think some people think we're hacks or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't have to do that. And I'm, I'm really um, glad about them. So I'll continue doing things the way I doing them and put as much integrity as possible into it. And, you know, I, at the end of the day. I think we feel good about what we created. So absolutely. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, Esther is seriously the one of the most humble, hardworking, just noble people I've ever met. Um, obviously, there's like an age difference between us. But every time you and I are working together, I'm just like, it's like I'm working with one of my friends. And I mean, we didn't know each other before this. And when you win, I win. Um, you know, it's 
it's great working with you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been so great. People talk about perks, you know, it's like everything has been a perk to be honest, yes, you know, exactly. I mean, is it hard? Yeah. Do I like get exhausted, you know, writing? Yeah. But when it's done, it's all said and done. And, you know, it's like, wow, I really like that episode that came out yes. really good, you know, and that feels good, you know, and then I'm on to the next one. <laughs> Not much time to bask in the glory. You got to move on. Exactly. You know? <laughs> All right. Last but not least, did Carol Baskin make her husband disappear from Raven H? <laughs> and I love that name, Raven. That's an awesome name. Um, <laughs> I wish that was my name. Um, but yeah, uh, that's so funny because when I watched that uh, Tiger King, it was so huge and I hadn't watched it. I just, it looked kind kind of silly when I first saw, you know, what, what was out there. And, and, uh, and then we ended up doing it for, um, let's talk about true crime. Um, because it was such a phenomenon at the time, like, okay, I got to watch this and find out what's going on. Um, and then when I watched it, because I heard so much, oh, Carol Baskins killed her husband and Carol Baskins, da, 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 you know, and all this stuff. Um, I thought, where is the information that she killed her husband? I mean, yeah. he disappeared, but I see nothing in there that anybody had anything on her except for the fact that she married him. He was much older. He had a lot of money and he disappeared. Okay. You can extrapolate that and take a leap and say, Oh, maybe she killed him. You know, that's, that's kind of like a gossipy thing to just do. Ooh, do you think maybe she killed him? You know, but to put it out there like that, because it didn't say that the only one that said that was uh, Joe exotic. Yeah. (laughs) He's that theory. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So I, I would have to say that for me, the jury would still be out on that. And right now I don't see any evidence for it. Not to say that she didn't, but I'm Mm -hmm. saying that they didn't show us any evidence for it. Mm -hmm. So I would, yeah, if you can, if you can show the receipts, then I could, I could make that leap. But so far I haven't seen any of those. So I would say I'll have to uh, reserve judgment for now. That is it for all the questions from our listeners. Thank you, Esther, for having me on as your co-host. This was super fun. Yeah. Thanks everybody for sending those questions in and the ones, those of you who recorded them, thank you so much. That was amazing. And you guys sounded great. Let's hope we do this again in another 200 episodes or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe we'll do it like every, I was going to say, yeah, maybe like every 50 to 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm thinking 500 episodes and is the next big one, but oh my gosh, I don't oh even want to think about that right now. I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like one of those things you just kind of keep going. And then before you know it, you stick your head up like, wow, we're at this many episodes the yes. already. So yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Let's get <laughs> 201 out next yes, week. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's, yes. We got to go and finish that one now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, too true. All right. All thanks, right. everybody. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I mentioned the haunted episode, and I was able to look that up and find which one it was. That was the LaLaurie Mansion episode that came out in October of 2018. And my notes say that there was like a ghostly laugh, a child's laugh or giggle, which happened at minute 20.03, between 20.03 and 21. I got a a few different uh, timestamps for some reason. It may be a little bit different as far as the time because um, we have taken off certain ads of that episode. And I think there's maybe a 30 second ad at the beginning now. So it may be a little bit off, but if you want to try and listen to that, it's the LaLaurie Mansion episode. And um, that was in October of 2018. So go back to season two, I believe that was, if I'm not mistaken. All right. Well, thanks again so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. We also have some uh, Patreon episodes, bonus episodes going out in the next couple of weeks. If you want to check out our Patreon page um, and think about joining, it's patreon.com slash once upon a crime, or just go on Patreon and search for once upon a crime podcast. Thanks again. I'll be talking with you guys really soon.
Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.